0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. I got a lot of hate mail last week because uh, I kind of left it little hang-in and, and everything like that, and I promise that I'm going to finish that story about how I had a state 4-H track title stripped away from me. I'll tell you next week how that ended. Um, No, not really. <laughs> not really. But I ended up winning the sub-junior state title by one bird. We gathered together for the award ceremony. And they started with the sub-junior division, and they said, and our sub-junior state title champion is Kevin Weatherby. And so, anyway, I go up there, and my dad's like, Wah! he's going crazy, you know how cowboys are, and everything. We get up there, and they hand me this belt buckle, state champion, this trophy. And this lady over to the side goes to caterwauling. and Wah! she's jerking out papers, and people are like looking around, it was weird. So these officials go over there, and she's pounding on this, and they're like telling her to be quiet and everything like that. And I mean, she is adamant about something. And I'm standing there like, do, do I stay here? Or, you know, I don't know, really know what's going on and everything. And all of a sudden, this one official, he comes back, and he's got this real sheepish look on his face, and he goes, "Uh, I'm sorry, son, but we've made a mistake. He takes the, he takes the belt buckle and the trophy away from me and says, you can go sit down now. And of course, I'm like this. My dad, he's loading. I'm like, Dad, it's just... Here's what happened. There was another guy that was a sub-junior whenever the season started. But he turned the age where he became a junior and they enrolled him as a junior at the state meet, and he didn't win. So the lady pulled out the rule book, even though he had shot in the junior division throughout the entire little meet or tournament, whatever you call it. He had shot in the junior division. She knew he was in the junior division, but when he didn't win, she pulled out the rule book that said that... Your age group is where you start the, the meet out at. And he was a sub junior and then his birthday. Now he had shot in the junior division all year long and he was a great shot and everything like that. And he ended up beating me by one bird. And he was, she knew he was in the junior division the entire time, but she wanted his, she wanted her son to have a state title. So she pulled out the rule book and said, he was a sub-junior whenever this 4-H season started, so therefore he should have been in the sub-junior division. They said, you signed him up in the junior division yourself. She goes, well, I made a mistake, but I'm here to rectify that mistake. And so they gave him, he stood up there with my buckle and everything like that. Now, you know, I mean, that's just, somehow, somehow, some way, that's what happens. And as debilitating as it was, you know what? There's a lot of loopholes that f- people find, and they work. Those loopholes to our advantage. Two weeks ago, we started a sermon series on what I like to term hypocrisy. About hypocrites, we've all encountered them. You know what? Some people don't even go to church anymore because of hypocrites. They're like, you know what? If that's if that's the way church is, and I'm not going to do that anymore, or I'm not going to go, and all of this stuff. But anyway, that doesn't. We don't go to church because of man. We go to church because of God. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first woe in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus says seven woes, and when he means woe, he says, Woe unto you, you hypocrites. I mean, he is blasting the religious institution, the religious hypocrites, just like I do, whether it be in person or on Facebook or online or anything like that. I get attacked by religious hypocrites all the time. And I give it to them just like Jesus did. I give it to them straight. The first woe that Jesus talked about was standing in the gate and not allowing anyone to enter the kingdom of God. It says that. Read your Bible, Matthew chapter 23. The use of Scripture. They do. They stand in the gate because they use Scripture to condemn and control you. Everybody's run into a hypocrite like that where they use God's Word to make you feel about this tall. Stinks. Instead of loving you and letting God's Word set you free. That's what the Scripture is all about. The Scriptures are used to build us up, not tear us down. So I urge you right now, if you ever run into a guy, and I don't care how religious he looks, I don't care how many books he's written, I don't care how many church services he's gone to, I don't give a dang about nothing. If he uses Scripture... Now, I'm not talking about giving you a truth about yourself. I'm not talking about, you know, stepping on your toes a little bit. I'm talking about just using Scripture to tear you down on purpose. That's not God. Even Jesus in, in Matthew uh Matthew, John three, sixteen and seventeen said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on to say, For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it through him. If Jesus himself didn't even come down to condemn the world, then why are the religious institutions doing that to go out and think that they're better than Jesus, that they can just talk trash and talk smack about everybody that doesn't do things the way they think that it should be done? Can't stand it, if you can't tell. (laughs) They stand in the gate and they don't allow anyone to enter the kingdom of God. They make up rules that you should follow. And they'll use those worlds... Those, those rules to belittle you, to condemn you, to make you feel like you're not good enough. And they make you think that they are better than you are. Boy, they walk around with their snooty, holy noses stuck so far up in there, and usually the only thing holy about them is that thing between their two back pockets. <laughs> let here, let them with ears hear. <laughs> It took y'all a second. (laughs) Turn the heaters on or something. we got to get this crowd alive. Get them some more coffee. Somebody put decaf in the coffee this morning. That was the first one. The second one we talked about last week was they cross land and Jesus said, you'll cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn him into twice the son of hell that you are. That's Jesus talking, folks. That wasn't Peter. That wasn't James. That wasn't John. That was Jesus said, you will cross. You hypocrite. You will cross land and sea to make one convert, and all you do is turn him into twice the son of hell that you are. Man, kind of a different different uh, attitude than this little Jesus that everybody else pictures walking around. God bless you. you know, that ain't Jesus, man. My Jesus is a tough cowboy hombre that will tell it like it is. That's why I love him so much. And today we're going to talk about the third woe. And it's found in Matthew twenty-three, sixteen through 22. And of all the woes, this one is probably the hardest one to understand. When Jesus talks about the seven things that he criticizes the religious hypocrites and the religious institution for, this is probably the hardest one to understand because it, it had so much cultural relevance back then. Maybe not so much today, but there's still something that we can learn from it. Now listen, probably not going to get a lot out of this, but try to listen. Jesus says, how terrible for you, you blind guides. You teach, if someone swears by the temple, he isn't bound by his vow. But if he swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple which makes the gold holy? Then he goes on. You also teach, if someone swears by the altar, he isn't bound by his vow. But if he swears by the gift on the altar, then he is bound. I know, it's getting a little... Religious kind of, it's hard for us to understand. How blind, and he says uh, in verse 19, how blind you are, this is the third time he's called them blind. How blind you are, which is more important, the gift or the altar, which makes the gift holy? So then when a person swears by the altar, he is swearing by it, and by all the gifts on it. And when he swears by the temple, he is swearing by it, and by God who lives there. And when someone swears by heaven, he is swearing by God's throne, and by him who sits on it. <gasps> This week has been a little rough, folks. (laughs) Trying to explain this. This is all about loopholes, okay? That's why I told you the story about using things to your benefit because that's what the hypocrites were doing. They were using things to their benefit. They were using things to to put themselves here and put everybody else here. Just like the lady used a loophole to take away my state title, the hypocrites used loopholes to get what they wanted. But did you notice something? This is the only of the seven woes that God, that Jesus never called them hypocrites. Three times He called them blind guides. And then, well, He used the word blind three times. And then He called them uh, guides and blind fools. And I tell you what, man, you think of the most rottenest term that somebody could call you. I don't care what little acronyms you use. You think of what that bad cuss word, and I'm not saying that Jesus ever cussed, but the one that gets you fired up if anybody calls you something, that's what fool was back then. And Jesus is, boy, he's got it loaded with buckshot, and he's got a double barrel in each hand, and he's pulling both triggers. You fools! He's like walking up. Well, I won't get into that. Jesus didn't call them hypocrites in these verses. He called them blind guides. When my dad was young, he was raised on 42 sections of ranch land down in Pecos, in Pecos and Reeves County down there in Texas. And my grandmother raised, she raised six kids, but she raised five of them in a two bedroom adobe house with no electricity and no running water. So needless to say, you didn't spend a whole lot of time inside just because it was so hot. You know, I know, I know that this is strange kids, but they didn't walk over there and turn the thermostat down to make it a little cooler in the house. Kids spent a lot of time outdoors, and uh, anyway, my dad was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was somewhere between four and six. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he was right along in there somewhere, give or take 10 or 12 years. And um, that might not work. My wife calls it girl math. Um, but anyway, so dad's out there playing with some buddies, playing with his brothers. He had, well, He had one brother at the time. And they're out there playing and everything, you know, like kids do, and they were over by the barn, which was right next to the house and everything. And anyway, Dad went running, and of course, you know, this is a barn that has uh, tin on it, but it's made out of metal, and if you've never seen one of these old tin barns, they just poked two holes in it and just tied the the... Uh, tin on with like baling wire or something. And Dad was running, I don't know if it was from his brother or from a friend or something, but Dad come running up out of that barn and he slipped on the rough poured concrete right there and went down. And in his, I believe, I don't remember which eye it is. I think it's his right eye. Um, he went out that barn and a piece of baling wire went into his eye and when he jerked back, he jerked his eyeball down onto his cheek. Well, he went to screaming Now, granted, this is before, you know, there wasn't electricity, so you didn't pull out your cell phone and dial 911, okay? He goes in there, and can you imagine what you would do if you saw your five- or six-year-old child run in with his eyeball on his cheek? My grandmother has to be the toughest lady that ever lived. She walks in there, she gets a washcloth, she tells the oldest child, you go get the other kids, get them in the car. And to hear her tell this story is just remarkable. My wife told her one day, you, should, you ought to write a book. She gets a washcloth. She goes outside where there's a water truck with a tank on it because that was the only water. She turns it on, wets this washcloth, turns it off, lays the the uh, rag over my dad's eye that is hanging on her deal. And she's trying to keep him from grabbing it, of course, and everything. So she puts him in the front seat, and I don't remember how many kids... Around 1957, they head for Odessa, Texas, 80 miles away. Most of it dirt road. Here they go, eyeball, hanging out. They get there to the emergency room, and she's carrying my father in there. And, of course, you know, back then it was a little different. You know, they didn't sit there and type on a computer. They took him right back. And uh, anyway, the, uh, the doctor said, let me take a look at him. pulls it back, and he's like, okay, Paul, you know, son, just settle down, settle down. And he turns and he says something to the nurse that my grandmother said, I will never, ever, ever forget. And he told that nurse, he said, go get me. And then he said a word. And my grandmother said, I thought, what? You've got to be kidding me. And I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. These religious leaders, they didn't have their eyes jerked out on their cheek, but they were still blind to that fact. These religious leaders were blind, and even though they thought they thought they were following every word of God to a T, but in fact, they were so off base that it wasn't even funny. What were they doing to get so off track? Number one, they were lying. Plain and simple, they were liars. They would say, they would use these terms like when somebody would say something, they would swear, and they would say, I swear by the temple that this horse is sound. And when it came up lame and the cowboy called him on it, these religious hypocrites would say, well, I didn't swear by the gold in the temple, so it didn't matter. You could swear by the temple, and it didn't matter. If you wanted to be held to your vow, you had to swear by the gold in the temple. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? But that's why they were religious hypocrites, they would say, I swear by the altar that this horse will make you a lot of money in stud fees. Which is funny because there's this rich guy in Odessa. They made a lot of money in the old film. This is a true story. And uh, the father, you know, started the business and then he passed it on to his son. And I mean, these people had more money than sense and everything. So the father called up the son. He's like, hey, man, you need to come over here and look at this horse I bought. He goes, why did you buy a horse? He goes, the stud fees on this horse, I can get like ten thousand dollars, the guy said. I mean he's papered and he's this and he's that and he's this. He goes, Well, where is this horse? He said, I got it at the house. And he said, Where did you get it? He goes, I drove to Colorado to get it, see? <laughs> he said, Well, how much did you pay for this horse? He said, I got it at a steal. He goes, How much did you pay? He said, I paid two fifty for it. He said, Two hundred and fifty dollars? He goes, No, two hundred and fifty thousand. So he drives to Colorado and buys a stud. He knows nothing about horses, buys this stud, and his son told him, he said, Dad, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's like, well, come look at the horse and everything. And so he's like, I'll be over there tomorrow. And about 6 o'clock the next morning, the phone rang, and it's the dad, and he's going nuts. And he's like, what's the matter, dad? He goes, I walked out there, and, and that horse is dead. He goes, you're kidding me, right? He goes, no, I'm not. He said, I walked out there, and that horse is dead as a doornail. He said, well, did you call the guy? And he goes, you got darn right I called that guy. He said, well, what did he say? He said, he had the audacity to tell me. Well, he ain't never done that before. <laughs> I think somebody got horse traded. What do you think? <laughs> I swear by the altar that this horse will make you a lot of money in stud fees. They could make all sorts of promises, but there was always a loophole where they didn't have to keep their promise. Now, sure, they sold the horse or, or you know, some other deal. It always worked out to their benefit, whatever they did. They could swear by the altar and break it, but you couldn't swear by the sacrifice on the altar, and break it. They had made up all of these rules so that they could do whatever they wanted. And that's what that whole long verse, if you go back and read Matthew chapter 23, 16 through 22, and you read it through that lens that these people were making promises and going around and telling people things, and they were lying to them, and they were using it as an excuse because the lay people, they didn't know all these rules that the Pharisees kept to themselves. They would go out and make a promise. And then when they didn't fulfill the promise, the people would call them on it, and they go, well, we didn't swear by the gold in the temple. We only swore by the temple, and so therefore we're not bound by it. Now, of course, they've already got their money, or they've already got, you know, the land, or the car, or the horse, or whatever you're to talk about, right? But why did they do this? They did it to manipulate. See, there was this deal that the priests and stuff like that that worked in the temple, that was their job. Okay, and so when somebody would bring in something to sacrifice or anything like that, they got to eat some of the meat off of the sacrifice. So if it was dedicated to God, it was supposed to be God's, and God gave it to the priest to eat and, and some other stuff and everything. Basically, to, without getting the whole Levitical law or anything like that, just remember that if it was given to God, the only it was supposed to be given to God, and the only people that could use it were the priests. Does anybody see a problem that might develop from that? Yeah. If you love God, you will give this to God. If if, if you're a good Christian, you will do this. Share... How, how about this? You ever seen on Facebook when people put, I believe that Jesus died for me, and then in big letters they're like, if you believe in God, share this. If you don't, you don't believe in God. Oh, crap! <laughs> that makes me so mad. I ain't got to share something on Facebook or online. Or, you know, how, how about... We used to get... <laughs> I heard that y'all used to get faxes like that, too. You know, somebody would send you a fax. Forward this on to ten people if you love Jesus. I ain't got to forward nothing to love Jesus. Golly. For, and, and, and the emails still go around. You know, somebody sends you that email. And you know, because it's the same person every time. Forward this if you think that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If you don't, you're going to burn in hell. Or forward this in the next ten seconds to ten friends and God will bless you. No, he won't. No, he won't. He will bless you because you believe in him. He will bless you because he loves you, not because you forwarded an email, dummy. Ah. Oh. I walked up to a person one time and I told them, I said, they said, you didn't, you didn't forward that email. I checked and I said, I'm so sorry that you're stupid. <laughs> I meant it with a lot of love in my heart. I really did. But see, they would say things like that. They would put stipulations. Well, if you love God, you will dedicate this to God. But what were they saying? Because see, if that person dedicated it to God, guess whose it was now? It was the hypocrites. Now, it wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be used for the good of all the people. But in that day, it was it was messed up, man. People, you know, you need to dedicate this good horse to God. And I mean, they were like the mafia people. They had a lot of control. And they'd walk up to you and say, hey, you need to r- donate your best head horse to God. And then you'd dedicate it and you'd see them roping on it next weekend. And they didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. By the way, if you have a living quartered horse, um, that was my hip cracking. <laughs> <laughs> if someone was, if something was given to God, it could be used for, it couldn't be used for anything else. What were the things? I mean, the first fruits of your crop, the first things that you harvested, you were supposed to give under the law. The finest of your herd, the animal without blemish, you were supposed to offer as a sacrifice. Give the best to God. A tenth of your money, you were supposed to, I mean, you know, okay. Hey, you better give that firstborn colt to God, and then they caught them roping on it. But they would do it all wrong. They would lie and steal through manipulating loopholes in something that was supposed to be God. Why should we give the first to God? Because it all came from Him in the first place, right? Right? I mean, we talk about money all the time, and I know I get I get criticized, not criticized, but the church gets criticized all the time for talking about money. I don't talk about money yet, but most of you understand the money. And let me tell you what, how many of you, if I gave you $100 every day, would you give 10 back? Most people say, you, dad, come right. Well, that's what we do with God. If we agree that everything comes from God, yet we don't give back, and I'm just using money as an illustration for everything in your life, they would lie and steal through manipulating loopholes they were blind guides. But there's a cure for this type of blindness, and it's real simple. My dad is laying on the table, and the doctor and the nurses are trying to hold him down, trying to soothe him while his eye is laying out on his cheek. And the doctor turns to the nurse, and he said, go to the cafeteria and bring me a spoon. And my grandmother thought, what? Aren't you going to rush him to surgery or something? He goes, nope. The nurse runs to the cafeteria and brings a spoon. He heats it up, dips it in alcohol, heats it up again, dips it in alcohol, heats it up again, dips it in alcohol, scoops the eyeball up on the spoon and goes, and pops it back in. And says, there you go, son, you'll be all better. There was a fine line between vets and doctors back then, I guarantee you. <laughs> I asked her one time, are you sure you didn't go to the Baker's vet clinic instead of the uh, Odessa Hospital? She goes, yes, I'm sure. But the doctor said he'll probably never see out of that eye again. Too much trauma, too much damage. A piece of wire went in there and jerked it out. But my grandmother was a praying woman. So we might be thinking, man, I'm glad that I'm not one of these that uses loopholes in Christianity. Are we? Is it so far-fetched that we do these same things that Jesus is criticizing nearly every day? Yes, we all do, even me. How do we keep from it? Don't look for loopholes in God's word that keeps you from doing what is right. And keep your word and don't be afraid to say no if you're not going to do it. Simple as that, folks. Hey, listen up. I know God was really talking to you today. If you'd like to hear the whole story, get online and get it at www.savethecowboy.com. There you will find all you need to get where Jesus wants you to be, no matter how long or little you've been riding with him. You ought to know by now that I ain't going to jerk your leg. Okay. (laughs) Maybe just a little bit, but this one ain't no story. This here's the truth. We need you to saddle up with us and keep this gospel being spread to cowboys and cowgirls like you. I'm asking you to go to savethecowboy.com and make a donation to help us out. This program was brought to you in its entirety due to the generous donation of Western LLC. They are a turnkey development company for the oil and gas and aviation industries. If you need it built to put something in, there ain't a better Christian valued company to call on than them. Visit them at westernllc.com.